So the reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. You can find it on page 985 in the Red Bibles. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, on Friday night, Lisa and I rented the movie uh, Jesus Revolution. I don't know whether you've seen it, but it tells the story in the 1970s about a pastor called Chuck Smith, who is a pastor of a, a small uh, church in California, and uh, the way the film portrays it, uh, one night he's watching uh, an anti-war protest on the television and is outraged at these hippies. And uh, he says, well, if God ever sends me a hippie, I'll ask them what they're on about. Interesting, God in his mercy sends a hippie along to Chuck Smith. Uh, in the film, uh, a character, a real person called uh, Lonnie Frisbee, he is uh, Jesus' uh, hippie. He comes dressed in all of the hippie paraphernalia, the bell bottoms, supposedly he had bells sewn into uh, his cloak, a bit like a, a uh, poncho, and he had painted on the back, Jesus loves you with the big face of Jesus. The story goes on to tell how Chuck Smith 
and Lonnie Frisbee work together to reach a hippie group of people. And, and the story tells how this Jesus revolution begins. And, and I think what's interesting about the story and why I share it this morning is that Lonnie Frisbee says at one point to Chuck, he says, my people, meaning the hippies, are searching for truth, but your people won't open the doors to the church. And there's a scene where uh, Chuck Smith opens the doors to the church and together they start growing the ministry. But I was deliberate in saying, God in his mercy brings a hippie into Chuck Smith's life. We often use that phrase, don't we? God in his mercy. You see, Chuck could have remained like every other pastor in California at that time, standing aloof and being judgmental of this group of people who looked different, sounded different, and experimented with things that weren't in the ways of God. But when Lonnie Frisbee came into his life, Lonnie shared with Chuck that these people who look different, sound different, and aren't following the ways of God are actually searching for truth and when the doors of the church are closed to them, they're exploring the truth through other means. God had a plan to grow Chuck Smith's church. God had a plan that through Chuck Smith's church, Calvary Chapel, that it would actually spawn a denomination that would eventually see over 100 churches across uh, America. And that this Jesus... Uh, hippie would actually spawn a movement called the Jesus Revolution or the Jesus Movement. And I actually met some people at St Hills once who were part of the Jesus Movement in Australia. That's the impact that this had. And some scholars say that this Jesus Revolution is probably the biggest renewal and revival in North America in the 20th century. But God in His mercy actually needed to change Chuck's heart before he could send hundreds of hippies to his church. If Chuck was still cold and closed off to the searching of the hippies, I don't think God would have sent them to his church only for them to be rejected once again. At one point, this church, which had 300 seats, was so full that they erected a tent in their courtyard that seated 1,600 and that was full and they had to run three church services on a weekend. That's the impact of what God was doing through that church. But God, in His mercy, needed to change the heart of Chuck Smith before this Jesus revolution could happen. You see, it's in God's nature... It's in God's nature to be merciful. It's in God's nature to love the children that God created. It doesn't matter what God's children wear. It doesn't matter what God's children uh, do or say or, or, or any of that. 
God in His mercy loves His children and makes a way for His children to come back into right relationship, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which I spoke about last week. If we look at God in His very nature, God is mercy. In the Old Testament, there are full of, it's full of stories where the people of God turn away from the ways of God. They walk away. Remember in the Old Testament, they say, uh, to, they say to one of the prophets, we want to have a king like all the other nations. And the prophet says, you're not called to be like all the other nations, you're called to be set apart to follow the ways of God, where God is your king. And they said, no, 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 we want a king like all the other nations. And, and they knew it would go bad, but they called for a king anyway. And King Saul was a terrible king. The Old Testament is full of stories where the kings do evil in the sight of God. But what's interesting in so many of the stories of the Old Testament, there's always this small group of faithful people who are crying out to God, God, would you show mercy on us, the people of Israel, who have done evil in your sight. And the stories are full of God showing mercy and taking His people back. In His very nature, God shows mercy because He is mercy. He is merciful. Let's just quickly look at one story of the Old Testament, which is the story of Jonah. You see, sometimes, particularly in kids' ministry, we kind of call it Jonah and the whale, and we, we sort of focus a lot on the whale. But the story actually is about God's mercy. It's not about a whale, it's about God's mercy. See, Jonah is sitting there and God says, go to Nineveh because Nineveh is an evil city and I, I, I'm going to cast judgment on that city. And Jonah's kind of like, no, he's got fear of the Lord, so, he's, so he heads in the opposite direction. And then when God puts a storm on the boat that he's in, the, the people who don't know God actually say somebody has disrupted God and therefore they have to go off the ship. So they find out who it is, they realise it's Jonah, and so they throw him off the ship. But God in His mercy doesn't drown Jonah, He puts him in the belly of a, of a whale, a large fish. Not, not so that Jonah can die, but so that this large fish can kind of take Jonah to where he's supposed to go and sort of spew him up in Nineveh. God in His mercy doesn't kill Jonah for his disobedience, but takes him where he wants him to go. Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh and calls them to repent or God is going to smite them, destroy them, cast judgment on them. And what do they do? They sit in sackcloth and ashes and they repent. And God in His mercy doesn't cast judgment on them, doesn't destroy them, doesn't smite them, but actually brings them back to Himself. And it's Jonah who's upset because he was looking for a good smiting and he doesn't get it. And he's the one who's upset with God. The story is not about a whale. The story is not even about Jonah. The story is about God who is merciful 
and when people desire to come back into right relationship, even though they haven't deserved it, God made the first step to send somebody to call them to repentance. And the Old Testament is full of people who are sent by God to call the people to repentance. And God, in His mercy, lets the people come back. Because God, in His very nature, is mercy. Another way we could say it is God, in His very nature, is love. Therefore, it's in His nature to show love to the world, to show mercy to the world. In John 3.16, a very famous verse, it says, God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. Notice it doesn't say God, in His uh, condemnation of the world, sends His Son to smite the world. No, God, in His love, His mercy, He sends Jesus into the world. Because Jonah is just a, a long line of people who are calling the people to repent and the people uh, don't repent and, and, and they need to keep coming back. And so after this long cycle of sin and repentance that we see in the Old Testament, God sends a new person that will once and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world restore people back into right relationship. God shows through Jesus the greatest act of mercy, sending His only Son. And notice in uh, the, the Scriptures, right throughout the New Testament and in the Gospels, there are people who are constantly teaching us about how Jesus embodies mercy. Jesus Himself, as the Son of God, remember God is mercy, Jesus is uh, part of the triune God, so therefore Jesus Himself embodies mercy and there are story upon story upon story of that. And the, beatitude, uh, the beatitude that we're focusing on this morning, Jesus tells out as a parable that we heard this morning about the servant who is supposed to forgive others because he was forgiven. One of the, the kids' ministry um, uh, resources that I looked about this, for this week, it, to put it into context, it says, imagine if the servant was owing the king a million dollars and somebody owed him a few thousand dollars. That's the contrast. In the Scriptures, it's, it's probably almost like somebody is bankrupt and someone owes them a few thousand dollars. That's the contrast of how unforgiving and unmerciful this servant is. Jesus is showing us that we are given so much mercy by God. And so one of the stories in the New Testament is a blind person. If you look at Matthew 9, you'll hear this. Two blind people come to Jesus and they cry out, they say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, Son of David, Son of David meaning Messiah. Jesus, we recognise you as the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, you'll have mercy on all things. And when the Messiah comes, the blind will see. So they're crying out, we know you're the Messiah, we know you're going to do what the Messiah came to do, which is to have mercy on people, and therefore we will get our sight back. And Jesus says, it's the measure of your faith that will heal you. And because they have faith that Jesus will do it, they can then see. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, He extends mercy to the people He meets. 
But ultimately, Jesus will take up the cross and show the greatest act of mercy to the world. And as we heard in John 3.16, so that everybody who believes in Jesus can have eternal life. The cross becomes the ultimate sign and symbol of God's love and God's mercy to us. When we're unable to earn our way back into right relationship with God, God in His mercy steps towards us through Jesus so that we can be in right relationship with Him. The mercy of God is not earned, it's a totally free gift. And because it's a totally free gift to us, we don't have to pay the price, Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sins, because we don't have to pay the price, Jesus is asking us, don't charge somebody else. Jesus didn't make us earn mercy, so don't make somebody else earn mercy from you. God is calling us to be merciful in the same way that He showed mercy to us. When we show other people mercy, we do it because mercy was shown to us. We don't actually have to be merciful. God is not saying, you need to be merciful in order to earn your salvation. No, in in Hosea uh, chapter 6, Hosea tells the people that, that when they're sinful, they thought, well, we just have to give a sacrifice and then that will be okay and that'll sort of pay off God. And, and Hosea tells the people of the Old Testament, no, God doesn't want your, your cheap payment. He wants you to actually be merciful. He doesn't want your cheap sacrifice. He wants you to be merciful and He wants you to acknowledge God rather than offer sin sacrifices. God is not demanding that we show mercy like some good behaviour bond that a, a criminal might get at court. You know how sometimes people, that they, they sort of said, yeah, well, you did something wrong, we won't put you in jail, but you have a good behaviour bond and you have to behave well, and if you behave well enough, then we'll let you off. That's not why we show mercy. God is not demanding some kind of legal contract with us. But it's that when we encounter Jesus... And we encounter Jesus and the love that He has for us, we want to be more like Jesus. And because Jesus in His nature was merciful towards sinners and tax collectors, then if we want to be like Jesus, we too have to show mercy to other people. The ministry of Jesus went to those who were rejected by the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees often told people, that because they didn't behave well enough, God didn't love them. Now, Jesus doesn't come to overturn the law. Remember, Jesus didn't come to remove one iota of the law, but the Pharisees said, you obey the law and then God will love you. Jesus comes along and says, God loves you, and because God loves you, then you're going to obey the law. So, it's not about removal of the law, it's about... Jesus loving us, us desiring to be more like Jesus. Jesus is loving and merciful to others and therefore we extend mercy to others. One of the things that I noticed when, um, w- when we went to the UK earlier in the year, what I noticed is that, that there's this idea that 
that some of the churches that are experiencing renewal and revival, they're not preaching how sinful people are. They're not preaching rules and regulations. They're not preaching behaviour modification. They're asking people to come into the presence of God, experience God. And then people out of their own desire, not because they're told to by the preacher from the front, but people out of their own desire are then repenting of their sin. And I think this is the order that Jesus set up. I think for too long, the church has been like the Pharisees, telling people that they're not welcome until they follow the ways of God. And once you learn to follow the ways of God, then God will love you and you're welcome in the church. I think this is what's played out in the Jesus Revolution. Lonnie Frisbee had told Chuck Smith that your church was saying that you had to dress in a suit and tie in order to come to church. And these people who are searching for truth and are barefoot want to come to church and you're not letting them because they won't wear shoes. There's a scene in, um, there's a scene in the movie where one of the wardens we have great wardens at our church, they would never say this to me. But one of the wardens says to them, but they're not wearing shoes and they're going to dirty the carpet. And Chuck Smith kind of hilariously says, so are we about saving the carpet? There are sometimes things that the church has put up, barriers in our society that have told people that they're not welcome. But you know what? The church is actually also known for showing mercy in our society. The government knows this. The government knows that if all the Christian charitable organisations closed down, they would have a billion dollar bill overnight as they try to run all the services that show mercy in our society that are Christian. Think about all our Christian hospitals. Think about our Christian aged care. When when people are not knowing what to do with their elderly relatives, these Christian aged care homes are saying, we will take them in, we will care them and we'll give them dignity. Imagine if those Christian aged care homes closed overnight and the bill that the government would have to replace them. Imagine the prison chaplaincy and the people who say, you know, the, the society wants to write you off as a criminal but will actually help with your rehabilitation. And think about the people who offer fellowship to people who are in prison and then care for them as they come out of prison. Think about the welfare agencies like the Salvos and Vinnies and, and, and the massive work that they do in our society to show mercy to people. The church, through Salvos, through Vinnies, through prison uh, chaplaincy, through aged care and hospitals, is known for showing mercy to the most vulnerable in our society. I think that the group of people that has a real brand problem in society, unfortunately, is, is Christians. Because sometimes people go, oh, yeah, we, we like all the work that Salvos do, but, but you Christians are actually really judgmental. I wonder whether we need to rebrand ourselves as being meek and as being merciful. I don't, I don't really ever talk about... Sorry. I don't really ever talk about Judgment Day. 
and it's not really cool or trendy to talk about Judgment Day. And sometimes we've got that wrong before and maybe that's one of the reasons that I avoid talking about Judgment Day is because it's, it's associated with fire and uh, hell and brimstone preaching. But the reality is that we're all going to stand before God on Judgment Day. Each one of us is going to stand before God and give an account for our life. Because of our faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done on the cross, we actually have the assurance that we're going to enter in eternal life. It's not like Judgment Day is where we stand and we have to impress God or, or even in the secular space, impress St. Peter at the pearly gates. That's not what Judgment Day is about. In the book of James, it says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And mercy will triumph over judgment. So, first of all, let me say two things about Judgment Day. First of all, it's actually the mercy of Jesus shown to us that will triumph on, on Judgment Day. We'll enter into eternal life on Judgment Day because of Jesus, not because of our own effort. But I think the second thing that we need to say about Judgment Day is wouldn't we want to stand before God and show God with a, a degree of humble pride how we had been merciful? Wouldn't we want to stand before Jesus and said, as we tried to follow you and you were merciful to others, we try to be merciful just like you. And as you showed mercy to me on the cross, I tried to show that mercy to other people. So we shouldn't forget about Judgment Day because it's a reminder to us today to act like people now as we want to be judged in the future. We can't look at Judgment Day like Jonah, somehow hoping that God will condemn all those other people and we'll get around Judgment Day ourselves. No, just like us, every other person will stand before Jesus in judgment. And the Father will look at Jesus and His righteousness, then look at us and say, welcome this week I'm going to take a funeral for Rob McAllister who was married in this little chapel here in 1965. And apparently uh, during his life he sometimes, uh, when, even when he left our church, he audited the books for us. His daughters speak well of him. And, and I don't know him at all, I never met him. And it's going to be hard to speak about his life having never met him. But because his daughters speak well of him, and, and I think from what I hear, he's somebody who, who had a strong faith and somebody who had a, a sense of Christianity where it was about how you showed mercy and how you treated other people that were important and important signs of our faith. I asked them about, did he have a favourite Bible verse? And one of his daughters sent this quote to me that he had pasted in the front of his Bible and this line was highlighted and I'll just read it out. 
Evangelism is not a matter of convincing by argument or piling up Bible references in a spectacular heap. It isn't a matter of making people feel more wretched than they already are. Evangelism is primarily a matter of revealing God within us. The closer we can live lives of genuine love, of forgiveness and reconciliation, of healing, of peacemaking, the more that this is likely to happen. We are all called and sent to be Christ somewhere to someone. We just need to see it, believe it and do it. I think that's a powerful story. I don't know where the quote comes from. His daughter doesn't know where it comes from and he probably wasn't a great referencer because there's nowhere written where that comes from. And I wonder who said that and I wonder who shared that with Rob. I can't speak about the life of Rob. But at the funeral, I'll speak with great confidence of the assurance that Rob had that he can enter into eternal life because of the mercy he was shown through his faith in Jesus. In one of the funeral readings, it's from the Gospel of John and it says, in my father's house there are many, many rooms and Jesus goes there to prepare a place for you. If Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you in eternal life, he's not going to put a barrier on judgment day saying you can't come in unless you earn. He's already shown you the mercy, he's already prepared the place for you, he's going to welcome you into eternal life. It is the mercy of God through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus that I'll speak about on Wednesday. This beatitude offers us such a beautiful hope for the future. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God has shown us mercy and now he asks us to offer mercy to those around us. Let me pray. Gracious God, we praise and thank you for the mercy that you have shown to us. As we go out into our world, would we be people who show mercy? Lord, this week, would you show us the people that we need to be merciful to, that we need to extend your love to? Lord, would you give us courage to go out into our world and to be people who speak about this great hope that we have for a judgment day, not based only in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of your Son, Jesus. And we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.